Good afternoon, everyone. Hopefully you can hear me okay. I'll kind of come here and then I'll be able to project a bit without projecting too much that way. It's really good to be with you again here at Gospel in the City. And it's just wonderful to be able to speak on some of these verses in John chapter 1. I don't know about you, but for me, Advent always feels like it comes at just about the right time of the year. Christmas busyness is ramping up. The dark nights are closing in. The weather is biting down on us. I think we can feel sometimes a little bit tired at the end of another year. There's a lot at this time of the year that can actually make us feel quite weighed down. We can feel stress, we can feel pressure, we can just feel a little bit of seasonal affective (laughs) reaction to those dark nights. And yet into that sense of being weighed down or dulled by everything around us at this time of the year, we hear this word Advent, which means coming. And we remember the epicenter of hope that is what this season is all about. The first coming of Jesus Christ into the world. The coming of grace. We remember the hope of the one who came to light up the darkness, as John has already said in John chapter 1. But we don't just remember the first coming of Jesus at Christmas during the Advent season. We also remember our sure and certain hope of the second coming of Jesus, the one who will come again to do away with everything that is unjust, everything that brings evil, suffering, and sadness in this world. There's so much that can dull our wonder, our hope, and our joy at this time of the year. And so it's important that we find spaces during the Advent season to let light in and the hope of Christmas so that we don't get overwhelmed by everything that can bring darkness. And this is where John 1 is so helpful during the Advent season. John 1 is like a great window of light that shines light and life on the true meaning of Christmas. In fact, John has written his gospel to stir hope, stir faith, to bring life to us when we feel lifeless. At the end of John's gospel, here's his purpose statement for why he writes what he writes about Jesus. In John 20, 30 to 31, John writes, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John explicitly tells us at the end of his gospel that he has given us a series of portraits, composite images of the life of Jesus Christ that are purposely arranged to stir our faith. And as we read and study the various portraits of Jesus, he says what we we will experience is life in his name. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want 
during this Advent season. Amidst all the tinsel and the wrapping and the traffic and the busyness and everything that's dark that can dull our wonder, I want my faith, my affection, my life stirred by a fresh glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ, the one who became flesh. And so John, in chapter 1, just gives us such a wonderful, majestic overview, in a sense, of everything he's going to do in the gospel. And I like to think of the, the uh, opening chapter of John's gospel uh, like this. John answers three questions, essentially, for us. And I've included this in the little outline on your handout, just as, a, as by means of recap, because I know for the past couple of weeks, you've already covered the first 13 verses. I like to think of John 1 like this. John answers the, the who question. Who is Jesus? And I know in week one, Sam answered that, explaining Jesus is the word of God. That's what John tells us. God's self-expression. God makes himself known in the Old Testament by his word. He reveals his glory in creation by speaking everything into existence. Jesus is the word of God, God's self-expression. He is with God and he is God in the beginning. Jesus offers life. He possesses life in himself and he offers it to those who will receive him. He defeats the darkness. He's the one who lights up darkness by coming into the world. But after answering the, sorry, the who question, who is Jesus? John answers the why. Why is Jesus relevant to me question? And in short, he says, he made you. All things were made through him, John says, and without him was not anything made that was made. That is a massive claim right there that the Bible makes about Jesus Christ. All things that were made in the universe were made through him. We either accept Jesus as our maker and sustainer and we honor him as such, or we reject him and say, that's a lie. The Bible is not true. It's false. And there's no room for sitting on the fence with that. So John answers the, the who is Jesus question. He answers the why is he relevant to me? Because he made you. He sustains your life. And you'll either acknowledge him as such or you won't. And third, John answers the question, the, the what question. What is the big deal? about Jesus coming down into the world at Christmas. And John answers this question, as you've been tracking over the, first, uh, the past couple of weeks, by first introducing a darkness problem. He uses a sustained metaphor of darkness and light throughout his gospel. But straight away in verse 5, he says he introduces this darkness problem. And through the gospel of John, darkness, this darkness problem, problem speaks of two human realities. First, darkness speaks of humanity's natural inability to see and appreciate the glory and the worth of God. We've been plunged into darkness. It's like we're, we're blind. We cannot 
by our own natural ability see glory around us. We cannot see God. We cannot comprehend his worth and his beauty. We're just blind, dead to it. That's what 1 John's communicating when he speaks of a darkness problem. But then in John's gospel, darkness also means a positive rejection of of God. It, It speaks not just of the absence of light. It speaks of a positive not wanting God. It's not that we just don't see him. It's that we don't even want to know. And so John says this is a great problem. Verse 10 of chapter 1, Jesus was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. We're just blind to the glory of God. This is our darkness problem. Something has happened that has eclipsed the light and the life of the glory of God. And we know that that is the issue of sin, our rebellion against God, the rebellion of our first parents, Adam and Eve, and how they plunged, in a sense, humanity into this state of spiritual darkness. But John is telling us time and time again in chapter 1 that though there's a darkness problem, this one called the Word, Jesus Christ, is coming down into the darkness to light it up. That's, in a sense, what he is saying in verses 5 through to verse 13. The true light that enlightens everyone is coming into the world. There's the problem of darkness, but the light is coming into the darkness, and the darkness is not going to overcome him or comprehend him or master him. But what we haven't had so far in John 1, 1 to 13, is an answer to the how question. How is the word or the light who is life, how is he going to come into the darkness and light it up? That is what John has not answered, and that is what we now come to in verse 14. John is answering now a how question. How is the word going to come into the world to transform the darkness problem? And the answer comes to us in verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what we're going to spend the lion's share of our time on for the rest of this short message. John is telling us that somehow the divine word, the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ, the author of life, somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's going to move from his place in glory and somehow he is going to be fused with a cell in Mary's womb. Now ponder this. Think of what the angel said would happen when Mary could not comprehend that she was going to give birth to Jesus. Here is what Mary asked the angel in Luke 1.34. How can this be since I'm a virgin? This is her question when the angel has spoken to her and said, you're going to give birth to Jesus Christ. He's like, she's like, how can this be? Because I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you 
and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So how is the Word going to come into the world? How is the light going to come down into the darkness? The Word will become flesh. The Word became flesh. Jesus Christ became human. The Word who was with God, listen to this really carefully. The Word who was with God and who was God, the God whom the highest heavens cannot even contain, would become an embryo. That is mind-blowing. He grew and developed in Mary's womb as any human does. The heart beating, the organs developing, the limbs growing, the eyes opening, the labor pains coming, the babies born, the Word became flesh. This is a profound mystery. Jesus Christ in the incarnation, his infleshing, he fully took on our human nature. This means that Jesus Christ has two natures. One fully divine, and then he takes on one that is fully human, and they unite together in one person. Jesus is not confused. He's not mixed. Two natures unite together in the one person, Jesus Christ There is so much that we could say about this profound mystery. And theologians have written probably thousands of books down through the years trying to explain this mystery. But instead of getting into the theological intricacies of the mystery, what I just want to do is kind of give you a few bottom line, where does the rubber hit the road here? How does this impact us? Well, first, just most simply, here's this Here's a truth that flows out of this. Jesus, in a very profound way, is the meeting place of the human and the divine. Kind of like the temple in the Old Testament. It's where God was said to dwell. And this is where humanity would come to meet with God. In a sense, Jesus is like a new temple. He comes down to dwell among us. And he is the place where the divine and the human meet in a profound way in his nature, but in a very real way in that now if we want to come to meet God, we have to come to meet him by meeting Jesus. Jesus now stands as a point of correspondence for us with the divine. I think it was one theologian, John Owen, who said, Jesus now places a hand upon us in his humanity And he places a hand upon God and his deity and he draws us together with reconciling love. And in assuming our nature, he can bring us to God as our mediator. In Hebrews 2 verse 17, here's what the author to the Hebrews wrote. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God 
so that he could make propitiation for the sins of the people. And that simply means so that he could bring us together with God. So Jesus is the meeting place of the human and the divine. That's what him becoming flesh means. But second, really simply, and take, take this into your heart this Advent season. Because of the incarnation, the word becoming flesh, we can know that our God gets us. He gets us. He understands us. I love the the old English translation, the King James Version of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. We read this. Jesus is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. And what that means is he now knows our weaknesses. He knows what tiredness feels like at the end of another day. He knows what rejection feels like. He knows what pain feels like. Our God did not stand off far away and throw a life ring into the ocean. He dived into the ocean to rescue us. Listen to these words from one writer, David Mathis. An unincarnate deity doesn't connect with us in the same way as the God who became human. The conception of a God who never became man, like Allah, will not satisfy the human soul like the God who did. I think that's wonderful. There's something very unique about the Christian faith here. All other religions say you've got to climb up to the divinity. Our God has stepped down to us. One aspect of our darkness problem is that we cannot see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. We're blind to the reality and beauty of God. But Jesus was coming down to shine light into the darkness. He was coming to open our eyes to the glory of God. Jesus, in stepping down into the world, sympathizes with us in our darkness problem. He gets us. But we know that Jesus coming into the world, the Word becoming flesh, was so much more than him just coming to kind of empathize with us in our darkness problem. He came to do something about our darkness problem. And the way I like to summarize this is that in him becoming flesh, he accomplished two things. He has made God known and he has made God knowable. In verse 14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus has come to show us the glory of God's grace and the glory of God's truth. If you were to ask the question, what is God like? We can look at Jesus to see what God is like. Think about Jesus, our God on earth. A humble servant who washes the feet of his disciples. Think of Jesus, an approachable one, who embraces children when others are shooing them away 
a gracious one who noticed the marginalized and sat with the tax collectors and the sinners. A compassionate one who touches the untouchables and who gives women dignity in a culture where they were often not given dignity. A servant who sweats in Gethsemane and who ultimately goes to the cross to die to rescue people in darkness. This is our God, the servant king. The incarnation is God making a statement. He has come to walk among us. He has come to reveal his grace and his glory. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 we read, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. This is why Jesus is called the Word of God. He is the definitive revelation of the glory and grace and truthfulness of God. He is the final word on the full revelation of the glory of the grace and truthfulness of God. He has come to make God known. But more than that, he has come to make God knowable. In verse 16 of John 1, John says that this fullness of grace and truth that is in Jesus overflows from him. And through his fullness, like an overflowing cup, we get spilled on. His grace and his truth flow out from him to us. John knows that the one who lay in the cradle came to die on the cross. The one who took our nature would take the fullness of that nature when he would bear our sin and bear God's judgment for sin on the cross. He would take the darkness of humanity into himself on the cross so that we could know light and life with God. And this would be the fullest revelation of the glory of the grace of God. This would be the moment, the epicenter of history. The reason why God said, let there be light. The full display of the glory of his grace in the grace of Jesus Christ, the light of the world, dying to give us in our darkness light and life. And so in verse 18, John summarizes the accomplishments of Jesus in the incarnation in five words. But let me give the whole verse to you so you see the context. John says in verse 18, summarizing the first 18 verses of his gospel, he says, no one has ever seen God. That's our darkness problem. But the only God who is at the Father's side, and then here's the five words, summarize the accomplishments of Jesus. He has made him known. This is what the metaphor of light is all about. Light, it's about revelation. Jesus has come down into the world to make God known. To lift the darkness. 
and to make God knowable through his grace and truth. He would die on the cross. He himself would be extinguished so that we could know light and life. Jesus, in his incarnation, he has made God known. But the question is, will you receive him or will you reject him? Receive him, John has said, and you will be brought into the family of God. Reject him and you will be outside in the cold, dark winter. We were created to enjoy the light and life of God. We have a darkness problem, but Jesus has stepped into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome him. And now in him, we can know light and life. Let me just pray at this point and then we'll look briefly at the two questions on our discussion sheets. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to reflect on John 1, 14. Jesus, the word coming down, revealing your glory, bringing your grace, making you known and knowable. As we discuss even now just the implications of this, as we prepare to go back to our desks and our workplaces, guide us and encourage our hearts. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.